happening? Thank you for being here, coming out in the rain and coming together to worship. And thank you for being here on week seven and the final series, our final message in our series of What on Earth Am I Here For? And uh, this morning we're going to be talking about the purpose of prayer. But let me remind you where we've been and where we are where we came from and now where we've landed and what hopefully happens on the other side of this. Remember, we started out on week one saying we are called by God. The scripture says that before you were born, He knew you and He had predestined you for good works. That means He predetermined before you were ever born that there was a set of good works that He wanted you to do. The Bible calls it bearing fruit. Bearing fruit means to live a successful life. And as people who have been called, we are called to do six things. We're called to worship. That means that we are called to be loved by God. It means that we are called to express our love to God. Ephesians 2.10 says that we are His poema, His workmanship, His creation, His masterpiece. That's you. But you see, not only are we called to worship, that's to be loved, we're called to fellowship, and that is to belong. He said, I made you to be a family. He said, you are no longer citizens of this world, but you are citizens of my world, my kingdom. And he says, in that kingdom there's neither Jew nor Greek nor Gentile, slave nor free. He says, all of us are created by him for his glory, his purpose as a family. So we're called to be loved. We're called to belong. The scripture says that we are called to become to conform, transformed into the image of Christ. So when you look at your life, you know, every year businesses about this time of year do inventory, right? Well, every year, periodically in your life, or even more often, you need to take inventory. Am I becoming more like Christ? Am I falling where I used to fall? Am I standing taller than I used to stand? Am I bowing lower than I used to bow? Those kind of things. Where am I in my walk with God? And you see, the scripture says that you were created, love, to become, to bear fruit. So God is calling us as his people to become like Christ. But not only are we to become, he says we are to be servants. We're to bless other people, to serve other people. You're never more like Christ than when you're serving someone else. So if you want to be like Jesus, man, don't be afraid to pick up the mantle of servanthood and serve people. And you say, well, I'm too good for that or that's not my call. Let me tell you, if you're a child of God, you are called to serve. You're called to do the things that make you go, you know what I'm talking about? There's times that that happens. There are moments that you'll have in your life when you need to step in and serve someone who cannot serve themselves and you need to be there. That's the body of Christ. You say, well, why do I have to do that? Because Jesus said, let this mind be in you which was also in me. The Son of Man did not come to serve, but to, not to be served, but to serve humanity. And you can keep meshing those scriptures together and it says that he served to the point of death, even death on the cross. And he endured the shame of public nakedness and public beating so that you could sit here today a redeemed child of God. So yes, we are called to serve. And that means that we take it up. It's an intentional choice. We're looking for the opportunities. But we're also called to be sent. How will they hear if no one tells? How will they understand without, if no one is there to explain to them the gospel, 
the amazing grace of salvation that says that while I was a sinner, Christ died for me. We were hideous to Him. We were an affront to His holiness. And yet He went to that cross so that we could be redeemed. That's Him. And that's what He's telling us. And then today, we are called to be a people of prayer. And you say, well, how does that fit in? Because it is through prayer that the power of heaven is unleashed on earth. And we can see Him work in mighty, the Scripture says, great and mighty things. So, I want you to complete a statement with me. My house shall be called a house of prayer. prayer. All right, that does not sound like a suggestion. Would you agree with me? That sounds like a command that my house shall be called a house of prayer. And our attention when we read this, and when we read it in context, it comes out of Matthew 21. My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. So he's giving us a contrast. This is what I want it to be, and this is what y'all done gone and made it. And basically what he says is, I don't like it. But interestingly enough, Jesus was proficient in cutting and pasting. Because he took two verses out of the Old Testament, he cut something out of one and something out of another, pasted them together and made one statement. Look at it with me. We see it in Jeremiah 7.11. Has this house, which is called by my name, become a den of thieves in your eyes? In Isaiah, he took something from Isaiah 56, 7. And he said, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. Now, I want you to see something there that is very important to me, I think, in the mission of Mount Zion Baptist Church. Isaiah said, it shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. And so what that teaches me right off the bat is that all men and women are welcome, wanted, and needed at Mount Zion Baptist Church. You need to hear me. That means if we walk in with plenty, we are welcome, wanted, and needed. If we walk in without a plenty, we are welcome, wanted, and needed. If we walk in broken, we're welcome, wanted, and needed. If we walk in with it all put together, we are welcome, wanted, and needed. Jesus said, for all nations, this is my house. All men and women should be united. Ouch. And all men and women should work to tear down divisions. Here's a danger in the church. Pastor, I'm going to get on board when they get on board. Oh, you know what I'm talking about. Soon as they reach out to me, I'm here for them. But the scripture did not sit, say sit and wait for somebody to come to you. Look at all the times in scripture it said, Go, go, we are sent, you are my ambassador, step out for me. So if the walls are are going to come down, guess who's going to have to be the ones to take them down? Us, me, I, I have a personal responsibility to do that. You know, just a moment ago we sang a song, it was about the promises. What are we supposed to do on the promises? Stand. I never did hear it one time say, sit on the promises and wait for somebody else. It said, stand on the promise. That's an action. That is getting up, taking over, and making it take place. Stand on the promises of God. So, Jesus, 
the, the one who taught us how to cut and paste out of Jeremiah and out of Isaiah, came to Matthew 21, made a statement. Now, when we read that passage of Scripture, it's very easy for us to focus on what the um, religious leaders were doing, what they were doing. We get really offended that they were sitting at the entrance to the church with a money exchange table. So the people would come in with Roman money. They would need temple money. And so they had to go through a coin exchange, a money exchange. And what they would do is they would sell them the money they needed to worship at a, an inflated price. So in other words, a dollar was only worth about 50 cents. Ooh, say, bad preachers of old times. Bad preachers of old times. That's what they were doing. They were sitting there, and if you wanted to go to church and you wanted to bring a sacrifice, you had to run by their table, buy some of their money at an inflated price, then you could go in and worship. That's what they were doing. That is bad. But I want you to notice exactly what also was happening. It's not only what they were doing that upset Jesus. It is what they were not doing that upset Jesus. You see, I'm not exchanging money so I can go, boy, they stink. They're bad. I don't like them. But I also have to look at the other part of the instructions. It says, you're coming into my house and you are not praying. That's what he said. He said, I want it to be this. You have made it that. Shame on them for making it that, but shame on you for not making it what I intended it to be. We're in our 25, this, in fact, our final Sunday of the 25 days of prayer and fasting. This Wednesday night or Wednesday morning at 1030 and this Wednesday night at 630, we're going to sit down and say, what has God said to us? Those are meetings where we're going to talk about what God has done. I'll give you a preview. I know for a fact that he has redeemed six people. I know for a fact that he has provided resources when we didn't have resources. I know for a fact that people's lives have been stepped into and he's intervened in ways that we can only say God did it. But that's only a preview because there's more to come. So I want to see you Wednesday night, okay? He says, I want you not to do this. He says, I want you to do that. And that's the instruction maybe that I want us to focus on today is how do we make it a house of prayer? Because as I analyze the ministry of Mount Zion Baptist Church, I think it's becoming more and more apparent to me that there's an element that is missing in our ministry. It's the element, the ministry of prevailing prayer. Now, I did not say we don't pray because we do. And I did not say that we are missing or don't have prayer warriors because we do. But I'm talking about the collective group of people known as Mount Zion Baptist Church that we are not a people of prevailing prayer. And you say, well, Pastor, I would like to be a prevailing prayer, but I don't even know what prevailing prayer is. So that's a fair question. So let's take our Bibles, let's turn to the book of Luke, Luke chapter 18, Matthew, Mark, Luke, Luke chapter 18, and let's go to verse 35, and let's read a moment of prevailing prayer. This is the story of a man that could not see. 
He was blind. And he heard that Jesus was in town. And when he heard that Jesus was in town, he wanted to be taken where he could be in Jesus' presence. So that's what we're stepping into. That's the scene, if you will. So then it happened, as he was coming near Jericho, that a certain blind man sat by the road begging and hearing a multitude passing by. He asked what it meant. So they told him that Jesus of Nazareth was passing by. And he cried out, saying, Jesus, Son of Man, have mercy on me. I don't think that's what crying out means to you. Somebody, what is crying out? Give me a crying out. Jesus, Son of Man. How, there you go. That's what I'm talking about. Jesus, Son of Man, have mercy on me. He is desperate. He is in need. And he has heard that the need meter is in the house. He said, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. Then those who went before him. So, in other words, now, we got a beggar. We got a crowd. And we got the people out front. Guess who they are? They're the Christians. They're the church. What's the church done done in this situation? Then those who went before him warned him that he should be quiet. Ooh, shame on the church. Oh, don't you get in the church and raise a ruckus because somebody might be embarrassed or God might show up and make us change how we've been living and we're comfortable and we don't want to change up in here. And that is what he has said right here. Then those that went before him said, But, this man with a big old need in his life, then those who went before him warned him he should be quiet, but he cried out, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stood still. He stopped. And he commanded him to be brought to him. And when he had come near, he asked him, saying, what do you want me to do for you? Do you realize that this day in your moment of need, that the Son of God, Almighty Creator of heaven and earth, has put on the brakes, looked you in the eye, and said, what do you want me to do for you today? And we are afraid to tell him. We're afraid to tell him because we don't want folks to think bad of us. We're afraid to tell him because we got this big old facade and this big old wall that we've built. And everybody goes, oh, they got it going on. Look at them. They drove to church together. Never mind they cussed at each other all the way here. Oh, they got it going on. Look how they dress today. Never mind it's on a credit card and they couldn't afford it. Oh, look at them. They know when to stand up. And they know when to sit down. Never mind they were so drunk last night they couldn't see straight. I mean, we're walking up in this place with need. And the Son of God slammed on brakes, looked you in the eye and said, What you need me to do for you right now? And look what this desperate man did. He said, Lord, I want to see. 
I am blind. I want to see. Do you notice he didn't prefix it with thee and thou and all of these things? He just cut to the chase, got to the moment and said, I am blind. I want to see. Now, this was a physical ailment, okay? But there is more than a physical ailment going on. We are blinded by sin. We are blinded by hate. We are blinded by distrust and all of these things. And Jesus said, what do you need me to do for you? And all we got to say is, here I am. This is what I want. And look what Jesus did. Then Jesus said to him, receive your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately, how fast is that? Like, oh, come on, we're all on the same page. Finger snap, that's how fast that is. And immediately, he received his sight and followed him, glorifying God and all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. So here's prevailing prayer. So just quickly, because this is just a rabbit that I'm chasing in the moment. But let's talk about what prevailing prayer is. Prevailing prayer begins with desperation. God, if you don't show up, I'm toast. It's desperation. Um, Have mercy on me. It persists in difficulty. You say, what do I mean? Everybody's going, you be quiet. You hush. You don't talk anymore. Man, those are words that I am familiar with all of my life. You talk too much. And that man said, I don't care. Jesus is here and he can heal me and I want to see. And I'm going to cry out to him again. So it begins in desperation. It persists in difficulty. It speaks with clarity. I want to see. And it responds with praise. You see, the one that got healed started praising. And when everybody saw what God had done in his life, they joined in. Prevailing prayer. We need to be a church of prevailing prayer. But before you can have a church of prevailing prayer, you've got to be a person of prevailing prayer that joins somebody else who is praying through with prevailing prayer. You see, we're desperate. And you need to understand me. We are desperate. And I could make you a list of reasons that we're desperate. We are desperate in how people are getting along in our nation right now. We're desperate. We are desperate with what's going on in our societies where little children are being taken out of their homes. This week, a lady was snatched through the drive-thru at Knife Point at a place that she worked. We are desperate. We are desperate that there were people that got on in a car in our city this week riding around shooting at people and killed a father in front of his wife and children. We are desperate. We are desperate that there was a wife that went to bed last night with a black eye. That a child went to bed last night hungry. We are desperate that there are people in walking distance of this church that are being sold into sex slave trade. We are desperate. We are desperate that we're walking around and acting like everything's okay. We are desperate because... If you looked at how much we've been giving financially this year, it is not enough to meet the needs. And we are desperate. We are desperate that November the 18th is coming and we don't have an answer from God. We need prevailing prayer. Lord, show us what to do. 
We are desperate that there are people sitting in this room this morning who are separated from God by sin and they have not yet realized it. And they do not yet realize that there is peace and life and hope in Christ. We are desperate that there are redeemed people sitting in this room addicted to apathy. We are desperate. And we better become like the blind man that hears that Jesus is in the house and cries out, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus said, what do you want me to do? He said, I want to see. Man, this morning my prayer is that we would see. So let's see, where are we? We talked about this prevailing prayer. Um, So now, take your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Matthew. In Jeremiah 33, 3, it says, Call to me, and I will answer you, and I will show you great and mighty things to which you do not yet know. So that means that God has some knowledge, God has a plan, God has a thought that He is sitting here wanting to give us the answer to, and the only thing between us and God in the answer is that we have not called to him. He says, I'm going to show you this if you'll just call on me. If you'll pray in a prevailing manner. Matthew 21, I do believe, gives us this model. So, Jesus is back at the temple. We were just talking about that. I want to read it to you. And then you can follow me in your outline as I begin to talk about it. Then Jesus went into the temple of God. And he drove out all those who bought and sold in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. That's that coin exchange thing I was talking to you about, okay? All right, so, and he said, it is written. This is the Isaiah and the uh, Jeremiah passage that I told you he combined. It says, and then he said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. Then the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them but when the chief priest that's when the preachers and the ministers and the deacons saw him and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did and the children crying out in the temple saying Hosanna to the son of David they were indignant what's indignant upset you know what I'm talking about that, that's that uh, Who does he think he is? That's a good way to say it. Who in the world does he think he is in our church doing these things? So, but when the chief priests and the scribes saw what he did, they were indignant. And he said, and said to him, do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said, yes. Have you never read out of the mouths of the babes in the nursing? Can I tell you all something? This morning, yesterday, um, Gail had the opportunity to lead one of our children to Christ. It was Gage. Um, it was sitting at a gas station in the, on Highway 20, having a conversation while I pump gas there. The Bible's open. They're flipping pages. She's drawing pictures, and he is intently listening. Now, if you know Gage, that's a, that's a treat itself. Gage and our kindred spirits, we don't listen well. But he's focused. 
I get back in the car, and he says, that's what I want to do, Miss Gail. And he, he bowed his head, and he said, Jesus, forgive me. I'm a sinner coming to my heart. When I walked into church this morning, through here, up through, he comes and gets me, and he, he calls me Chris, and he calls Gail Miss Gail. So I'm thinking we're buds, and she's like just a grown-up person in his life. All right, so he comes up, and he says, hey, Chris. I said, yes, sir. He said, I want you to tell all these people, because there were the children sitting there. He said, I want you to tell all these people what I did yesterday. I said, all of them? He said, well, everybody that can hear you. I said, okay. Hey, guys, this is Gage. This is what he did. And as soon as he said that, all the children clapped. So you see, children get something we don't. Children are willing to speak up and say, God done got hold of me up in here and I want everybody in the house to know it. And we sit around and this is what we do. Oh, bless God. I'm about to, I'm about to have a fit, but I'm going to have it inside. Because I don't want none of y'all to know what God's doing to me. And I know we're supposed to be singing, but I ain't going to sing because I don't know what they'll think. You know what? That little joker did not care what anybody in there thought. He wanted them to know it. Out of the mouths of babes. This is what's going to happen. You have perfected praise. <laughs> then they left him and went out. Because they couldn't get on board. They couldn't buy into what was happening. So they left. So what is God's plan for great and mighty things in the church? The first thing that we see is purity. Go back to verse 12. Jesus went into the temple and drove who out? The people that were stealing and the people who were not praying. He says, this is my house and my house is to be a house of prayer, but it starts with purity. He had to get the sin out of the house. And you say, well, wait a minute, I thought you just told me everybody was welcome. I want to make a distinction here right quick, okay? And here's the distinction. This was a conscious choice of religious people to hold on to sin that they knew was wrong. It's not that we've got to be perfect to come to God, but once we come to God, we've got to lay our life bare before Him, and when He convicts us of sin, we've got to be willing to lay our lives before Him and say, Heal me, cleanse me. So, we don't come in here knowing, intentionally harboring sin. Because God's work can be inhibited, and I would even say prohibited, by the people of God holding on to sin. You say, give me an example. It could be an action. It could be an attitude. It could be a sin of commission as well as a sin of omission. But it will hinder God's work in the church. It will stop it. Let me give you some examples. Because again, I don't want to make a claim that I can't back up. 2 Chronicles 7.14 If my people who are called by my name, that's right, will humble themselves and pray, and seek my face, and then what do they need to do? Turn from their wicked ways. So there's a promise, and there's a condition. And the condition says, if you will humble yourselves, if you will pray, you will turn from your wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, and I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. 
All right, so that's an example of purity. He says, if then, if you do this, then I will do that. All right, now let's keep going. Psalm 66, 18. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Regard iniquity means harbor sin. Be unwilling for God to convict and cause us to repent. Isaiah 59, 2. But your iniquities have separated you from your God. And your sins have hidden his face from you. So that he will not hear you. So again, God's calling us to purity. And he says, I want to back up what I'm saying with the word that's perfect. And you say, well, that's pretty general. Are there some specific examples in Scripture of sins that will hinder us from hearing the Word of God or God's instructions? Look at it. If Husbands, if you dishonor your wife, it says that your prayers will not be heard. First Peter says your evil acts will block your prayers from being heard. Disobedience, secret sin, indifference, neglect of mercy, despising the laws, iniquity, rebellion, stubbornness, instability, and self-indulgence will block or hinder your prayers from being heard by God. So you can ask the question, Lord, is the blocking of my blessing coming from the sin that I've chosen over you? God calls us to be a people who repent He calls us to be a people that are holy. So if we want the great and mighty things at Mount Zion Baptist Church, we better start with purity. And here's the amazing and wonder of God. If we, the church, confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So there's purity. That's God's plan. But keep going with me. There's prayer. Go to verse 13. He says, and he said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer. Now, that's an identity. That's not just a sign on your marquee that when you ride by a house of prayer. That's a name. That's that's just something we give it. He says, but I want your reputation in the community. To be such that if anybody that can get there is in need of prayer, that they will drive to your door, knock on it and say, somebody needs to pray for me. Because they know that it will be handled faithfully by a people who who seek purity and that God will hear them when they pray. So man, when your marriage is in trouble, I want you to know, I don't know where to go, but I'm going there because I heard that Uh, Joy and Russell and Barbara will pray for you. Or I will go to my life group because I can have a relationship with them and I know that they will pray for me. (laughs) He says, it's a prayer. God says, I hear the prayer of the godly. It goes back to that righteousness. You see, it's not just God hears prayer if I bow my head and say, hey, Jesus... It's when I have done the work of righteous living. God hears the prayer of the godly. Back it up. Psalm 4.3 Know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord will hear when I call to him. 
Jeremiah 33, talking to the people of God. Call to me, I will answer you, I will show you great and mighty things. Jesus said in John 15, 5, I am the vine, you are the branches, he who abides in me. That's the pure lifestyle, that's the repentant life, that's the life that allows God to sift and search and convict. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. And I'm honest, I'm not sure we're convinced of that fact yet. I think we may still be, and it's not uncommon to be, a people who think, Hey, God, I'm going to rely on my resources. I'm going to rely on my talents. I'm going to rely on my connections. I'm going to rely on my job. I'm going to rely on this, 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 and this. And if none of that works in desperation after it's too late for anybody in the world to intervene in my life, then I'm going to come up to the church and say, pray for me because I'm in trouble. Jesus says, I am the vine, not you. You are the branches. Not me. Abide in me, and you will bear much fruit. Because apart from that, from that formula right there, we can do nothing. Prayer is the ministry by which we thrust ourselves into a position of total dependence upon the Lord Jesus and make ourselves totally available to His perfect will for our lives. Prayer is the means by which, another man said, prayer is the means by which we declare absolute bankruptcy and destitution of our own flesh and abilities. Again, God told Jeremiah, call to me, I will answer you, I will show you great and mighty things. Jeremiah's God is our God. And he says, call to me, I will show you. Turn back with me to Matthew 21. And let's go back to it. So Jesus has said, I want you to have a life of purity. He says, I want you to have a life of prayer. And God hears the prayer of the godly. But scripture also teaches us to make prayer a priority. Jesus said or was said of Jesus in Matthew 14 immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side and while he sent the multitudes away and when he had sent the multitudes away he went up on the mountain how by himself to pray now when evening came he was there alone Jesus isn't just talking to us about being a house of prayer. Jesus is modeling for us being a house of prayer, a person of prayer. Luke 5 says this, However, the report went around concerning him all the more, and great multitudes came together to hear and to be healed by him of their infirmities. So he himself often withdrew into the wilderness and prayed. When was the last time? That you withdrew. Into your wilderness and cried out to God. I didn't mean um, take your ever never ending shopping list. I meant go to God, 
Not for what he's going to hand you, but to seek and know him who he is. See, that's, that's the point here. We've fallen into a habit that it's like December the 23rd every day and Jesus is Santa Claus and we wake up and say, give me this and give me that. And God says, seek me. Get to know me. Come hang out with me. Get to know who I am. And when you get to know me, we're going to become so close that if you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, then these things are added to you. Okay, so there's purity. That's part of the formula for seeing the great and mighty things. There's prayer. That's communication with God. We begin to see a result of that. Let's go back to 14 of Matthew 21 verse 14. Then the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. There was power. There was power. There were blind people seeing. There were lame people walking. There was something taking place there. If we go back to that thought of him working, it was after the cleansing. The prayer of of the righteous is very powerful. James 5.16b says, The effective fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Righteousness, when it talks about that, it's obtained through a personal relationship with God through Christ. That's a one-time activity. You are born again one time. But it's also speaking of righteousness, which is a daily, moment-by-moment, submitting yourself to the will of God. So it is a daily activity that can take place multiple times a day, but certainly it's a constant point of surrender to Him. Our righteousness is hindered. By not living a life surrendered of surrendered obedience. The prayer of the righteous is very powerful. The power in prayer comes from God. Turn with me right quick to Acts 12. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. Acts chapter 12. Fifth book of the Old Testament. Acts chapter 12. Verse 5. Peter's in prison. He's in prison because he's been standing up for Jesus. Peter was therefore kept in prison, but constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. And when Herod was about to bring him out, that night Peter was sleeping, bound with two chains between two soldiers, and the guards before the door were keeping the prison. In other words, he wasn't getting out on his own. Now behold, an angel of the Lord stood by him, and a light shone in the prison. And he struck Peter on the side and raised him up, saying, Arise quickly. And his chains fell off his hands. Then the angel said to him, Gird yourself, tie on your sandals. And so he did. And he said to him, Put on your garment and follow me. So he went out and followed him, and did not know that what was done by the angel was real. But he thought he was seeing a vision. When they were past the first and the second guard post, they came to the iron gate that leads to the city 
which opened for them of its own accord. And when they went out and went down one street, and immediately the angel departed from him. And when Peter had come to himself, I think he said, Say what? All this, and here I am. And when Peter had come to himself, he said, Now I know for certain that the Lord sent his angel and has delivered me from the hand of Herod and from all of the expectation of the Jewish people. Isn't that interesting? Not only the hand, but the expectation. What was their expectation? They wanted him dead. So he got out of prison and he kept him from being killed at that moment. Um, hand of expectation of the Jewish people. So when he had considered this, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together praying. You remember when we started back over there in verse 5, it said that the church was gathered together and praying. This is that prayer meeting. Okay. So when he had considered this, he came to that house where many were gathered. And as Peter knocked at the door of the gate, a girl named Rhoda came to answer. When she recognized Peter's voice, because of her gladness, she did not open the gate, but ran in and announced that Peter stood before the gate. But, they said to her, you are beside yourself. Now think about that. Here's all these people gathered in a room when it was not good to be gathered in a room praying. It was hostile. They're crying out to God. Lord set Peter free. They're praying. God hears their prayer even though they didn't have faith. But God hears their prayer, delivers Peter to the door and said, oh, it ain't him. And that's what they said, girl. You're beside yourself. Um. And when she recognized it, but they, she, yet she kept insisting that it was so, though the, so they said, it is an angel. Now Peter continued knocking. He is out of prison, dressed up, delivered by an angel. They won't open the door, and he's going, let me in. And they saw him, and they were astonished. Then they got excited, and he said, y'all going to have to keep it down now. They'll, they will come back and get me. Right, but look, here's the point of all of that story. Is it's the, the prayer of the righteous is very powerful, but the power in prayer comes from God. Listen to me, there's a popular teaching going on right now that says if what you're praying for don't happen, does not happen, it's because you didn't have enough faith. And there are people who are dying right now, physically dying, that believe that they're not healed because their faith was not strong. There are people in marriages that are in trouble and they believe that that marriage is in trouble and their church is teaching it was because they didn't have enough faith. It is not your faith, it's the power of God. The faith that you have to cry out to God is all the faith that you need. God doesn't need His power plus your faith. He needs your, His power and your surrender. Because in spite of the lack of faith here, these people were praying, but their faith, even when they heard the answer, they were like, that's not really what happened. God said, I'm going to glorify myself by showing up and letting you know what I can do. I'm not only going to deliver him out of prison, but I'm going to deliver him from the expectations. And I believe this. And you say, why did you even take me down that road? What's your point? 
I believe that there are people in this church that stay away from prayer meeting because they don't think they have enough faith to add anything to the event. I don't know how to pray. I wouldn't know what to say if I prayed. God doesn't hear my prayer. So I don't want to come taint the product, if you will. So I won't show up. And I want to tell you, just the fact that you showed up and said, God, we need to be healed. And Jesus says, what is it you want me to do? And you just simply say, I want to see. And you know, he may say, what is it you want to see? I want to be delivered from my addiction. I want to be delivered from racism. I want to be delivered from believing that I'm not smart. I want to be be delivered from believing that, that God can't work in my life. I want to be delivered from, and you just keep on going. And God says, yes, 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 yes. You say, well, what if I show up and it doesn't happen as quickly? That's where prevailing prayer comes in. We prevail. We keep praying. We keep on talking to God. This is the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life, but it helps me remember something. If at first you don't succeed, keep on sucking until you do succeed, okay? Um, It has helped me to remember all my life that this is how it happens. When you can't get it in the beginning, you keep on until you get it. And that was not in the notes, sorry. But that's how I remember it. All right, so the power of God comes, the power in prayer comes from God. The power of prayer, I'm reading off your outline. The power of prayer comes from the omnipotent one who hears our prayers and answers them. Prayer places us in contact with Almighty God, and we should expect almighty results. Great and mighty things. Because you have been delivered from addiction, right? That's right. God will deliver. Which is a perfect introduction to the next word of... What is the response to purity, prayer, and seeing the power of God? It's praise. Go with me back to Matthew 21. In verses 15 and 16. 16 says, um, no, let's go to 15. But when the chief priest and the scribe saw the wonderful things he did... And the children crying out in the temple and praying, Hosanna to the son of David. They were indignant and said to him, Do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, Yes, out of the mouths of babes, this is what happens. When the blind man was made to see what happened, he started praising God and it got so um, amazing that everybody else started praising God because they could look and see a man that was used to be blind, is now looking around going, that's what you look like? 
I mean, wouldn't that be awesome, you know? I mean, but you think about it. If you've never been gripped by the power of sin, and if you say you haven't, then I'm going to tell you you are because you are right the second. Um, but if you've never been gripped by the power of sin and been set free from it, it is one of the most amazing and unbelievable feelings in the entire world. It really is. So we've got this thing going on. So praise. There's an importance to praise. You say, well, I don't want to do that, but it is important. Look, Psalm 18.3 says, I call to the Lord who is worthy of praise. Isaiah 43.21 says, This people I have formed for myself, they shall declare my praise. Hebrews 13, 15 says, Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that confess His name. So it is important. God says, I want you to do it. In fact, guess what? I created you for one reason, to praise and worship me. So how do I praise Psalm 34.1 says, I will extol, that means praise, I will praise the Lord at all times. So praise is to be continuous. You say, you mean I got to go down the road with my hand in the air and I'm shouting, Jesus, you're awesome. No. That means you're living a life surrendered to Him. A life that says, speak Lord, I'm ready. Sometimes it comes out in a song. Sometimes it comes out in a word of affirmation. Sometimes it comes out by reading your Bible. Sometimes it comes out by cleaning a restroom or sweeping a floor or helping somebody that cannot help themselves. But he says, I will praise him all the time. 71, Psalm 71, 6 says, From birth I have relied on you. You brought me forth from my mother's womb. I will ever praise you. Continual praise. Psalm 9, 2 says, I will be glad and rejoice in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. So yes. A part of your daily time with God can be a song about God. It's a wonderful way to worship. Do the, let the hard work of the hymn writer make your life easier. You get it? I mean, you don't have to invent it. You just got to join it. Um, Psalm twenty two twenty two. I will declare your name to my brothers in the congregation. Oh, wow, so it needs to be continuous. It needs to be heartfelt. It needs to be up and around other people in the congregation. God, you are good. And that's what he's working on. So, he's walking us through this of how to praise him. The importance of praise and the how to praise. As we conclude this 25 days, of prayer and fasting. Calling out to God with expectation. Are you believing that He wants to do great and mighty things? Are you willing to be prevailing prayers? Joining Him in His work. Wednesday, we're going to have a church prayer meeting. If you're someone that doesn't like to drive after dark, we're going to have it on Wednesday morning. The times are in the bulletin. If you're somebody that the, the 
the driving after dark doesn't bother you. We've made it late enough in the day where I believe most people can be here. We're going to be in this room, is that correct? It's going to be a little bit of acoustic worship. It's going to be um, talking about what God has done. Then it's going to be coming together as a church and crying out, Hey, Lord, you know you told that blind guy, what is it you want me to do? Well, we're going to have a list of what we would like for him to do. Man, we want him to deliver us. We want him to heal our city. We want him to raise up men that will serve God. We want to see families put back together. We want to see addictions broken. We want to see a November 18th deadline with a bank bring him the most glory. Because I do not believe with all of my heart he has done with us. That's what we want. So we've got to ask him. And we've got to ask him believing. And you know what? He may not show us right away. That's when we prevail, right? We're praying. It's persistent. People are going to say, oh, don't do that. No, we're going to shout it even louder. God's at work. Where does it begin? It begins at the cross. It begins in a personal relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ. If you do not have that, please do not leave this place today until you know that Jesus is your Lord and Savior. The Scripture says, if you confess with your mouth, believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be born again. That's simply what it is. If you're a child of God and you've been wandering away from God, it begins with crying out to Him, Lord, I was distant, but now I want to come home. I'm yours. It begins with the surrendered child of God not letting weariness keep you from doing what you've been called to do, and that's prevailing prayer. God is alive, and He does want to work in your life. 